the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What issues drive our voting choices? And then, how to deal with sports on Sunday morning? You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Tuesday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us, Aubrey. How was Halloween last night? Halloween was so fun. You know what my husband did? My clever, clever little husband put a um, put a fire pit on our front lawn. Mm-hmm. And so, like, all the neighbors gathered around. It was so very, fun. Very like, missional. It's what we talked about it, yesterday. It was very <laughs> missional. And I, it's so funny. Like, this is totally our dynamic. Like, I'm like, is that a good idea? What if someone catches on fire? What if kids stay? Well, you know, like, I have all the all the problems about it. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's going to be fine. And it was fine. It was great, actually. It was really, fun. really, really fun. We had neighbors. I don't know if you guys had this. We had neighbors do, like... Walking tacos, hot dogs, uh, hot chocolate. Like it was a, it was like a party yesterday in our neighborhood. Some neighbors, I mean, we did not partake of this, but some neighbors had a bar set up. You could like order drinks if you wanted to. Yeah, it was a whole whole thing. We live in a completely different thing because here's the strangest thing. I live in Downers Grove, right? And there's a main road called Fairview that I live on one side of. And most people live on the other side of, like with kids and stuff. Yeah. And it never feels different. But at Halloween, I'm not joking, everybody goes to the other side. So it's like what you're describing. You know, we are not, you know, we're an eighth of a mile from this, a quarter of a mile or whatever. We had, I think, three or four kids the whole night. (laughs) There's nobody on our side. They're all on the other side. (laughs) Then you go to the other side and it's just what you just described. There's bonfires. There's kids everywhere. It's like we're on the other side of that dividing line. So it was wild. We had nobody last night. Just kind of sad. I watched a football game last night. It was a good time. So wow, that's uh, fun. Yeah, yeah. Not very missional where I was. <laughs> no, but a quiet, enjoyable fall evening where you were, maybe. <laughs> it was. It was. But now, Aubrey, as we've been talking about, we're moving full headlong to, to the Christmas. election. Oh, nope. the election, not Christmas. Got, okay, you okay. got to get to Thanksgiving first. I forget <laughs> when will your tree go up. When will your tree go? Well, up? Well, okay, this is the truth. Normally, it would go up now. We do it right after Halloween. But my mom and my sister and her kids are coming, and we know my sister's kids would love it. But my mom literally hates, despises our giant Christmas tree. She will not be in our home when it's up. Like it's a weird. Like she is like putting no, a stake in the ground. She won't be in your home when no, it's up. No, she won't. She'll be like, I will not come. Put that. Make that sure that tree's down before we come visit. So we're not going to put it up until after there is it. So we'll wait a week, which is kind of killing all of us, but. But we usually get my son's birthday is tomorrow. We usually get through his birthday and then we put it up. But we'll wait one well, week. Yeah. There you go. There we'll you take go. Most one of us, for the team. Yeah, I mean, all of us have our up November the 1st. <laughs> <laughs> right. Everybody does. So we're just going to sacrifice over here. I know we're 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 crazy. Part of it is 
I mean, part of us were crazy. I'll just own it. The other part is it's such an ordeal. I mean, our tree is three stories tall. It's such an ordeal that you can't have it up for three or four weeks. Like it, it's an event. You know what I mean? So it needs to be up for a while or does it feel worth maybe. it? This is where you and I are different or maybe it's you and, and your husband and me are mm-hmm. different that I start to get tired of the Christmas tree. Like it starts to like <gasps> after a couple of weeks, not in a bad way, but it begins to be no, like another bad. part of the furniture. You're just kind of like, like it loses. Tired. It's like that when you, oh. I love it when it first goes up and you're like, just staring at it. You turn off yeah. all the lights and sit by. And by know, week so three, pretty. you're like, oh, there's the tree still. So, Oh, not us. I'm know. so sad for you. You've lost your soul a little bit. It's okay. No, that's Maybe not this... a bad. I think, I think no, what I just bad. said is really normal. No. This, this Christmas, I'm going to pray for you. I feel sad for you now. <laughs> I don't think we have a lot of listeners going, you know what? I I also need to get my tree up November 2nd. No, we don't. That's true. We don't have that. But I think we have a lot of listeners that just went, oh, poor Brian. No, no, no. I love it. I love my Christmas tree. My point is when it's been there too long, it starts to lose its its. I know. I'm saying that's sad and I feel bad for you. Fair, fair. (laughs) But before Christmas, before Thanksgiving, before all of these things, we have Election Day coming up. Okay, okay. We can talk about that. Yes. And Aubrey, we want to continue. You said something interesting that I would agree with yesterday. You said, I try not to be a one-issue voter, Mm. right? But it's becoming – people who listen to the show know our stance on abortion and how strongly we stand. Uh, I totally agree with you. I don't want to be a one-issue issue voter. I want to have a, a – you know, you're looking at all the issues at where a candidate stands. With that said, can I just read a tweet written by our president the other day? Sure. And, and ask you to respond to this? Because he's laying his cards out on the table. He said this. This is from his official Twitter account. So this isn't like, hey, somebody took this quote or whatever. He or whoever writes his tweets wrote this. If we elect more Democrats to the Senate and keep the House, here is the promise I make to you and the American people. The first bill that I will send to Congress will be to codify Roe versus Wade. Mm, wow. Oh, so, so he's, he's just, saying that's his, that's his platform officially. It's there. He's saying, listen, if if you Democrats come out strong, I promise this is the first thing. And the person that I saw who tweeted this was another pastor who said uh, he wrote this to it. How many evangelicals are still willing to vote for these folks? I mean, they're telling you up front what their priorities are. Mm. How do you process that? Because like you, I want to say I'm not a one-issue voter. Yeah. But but this might be the issue I feel strongest about. And he's come <sighs> out and said, not that we'll discuss it, not that we'll this. Vote Democrat. Here's what we're going yeah. to do first. I'm yeah. finding it hard not to go, hey, I, I got to be a one-issue voter if that's your platform. Oh, man, this does make it tricky, Brian. I'm not going to lie. I'm still not going to be a one-issue voter. Um, Actually, Saturday Night Live did a really funny sketch over the weekend about Biden and kind of like, do we have any other options? I saw it. That (laughs) one I saw. I saw it. It was was pretty entertaining. Uh, I'm still not going to be a one-issue voter. But now you go, okay, I know that this is his platform can I justify voting for him knowing this? And it de- definitely makes you think. I'm going to say that. It just makes definitely makes you think. I, I'm just very, you know, I think the hard part 
Okay, two hard parts. One, I'm very curious who the Republican Party is going to bring forward, and that gives me a little bit of pause. But two, since he's making this such a line in the sand as his platform, you definitely feel like, man, if I vote for Biden, I'm voting against my conscience. And that makes it difficult. And I I think also it's not just Biden in two years. He's saying if you vote, if 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 the Democrats win the House in a week from now, Mm -hmm. a week from today, I'm immediately going to send this bill to Congress because now we have the votes to do it. And I think what I find so troubling is they're kind of saying the quiet thing out loud and proudly. Like we are not – the Democrats are saying Joe Biden, the head of the – as the president, he's the mouthpiece. He's he's saying – we are not pro-choice. We're pro-abortion. We are yep. going to do all we can yep. to reverse what the Supreme Court did, to reverse yep. all of this stuff. And I'm like you. I Like, take Georgia, right, where I've told you I find Herschel Walker to be crazy. Like, I yeah. can't believe this guy's running. Yeah. If I were in Georgia and I read the president's tweet here, I'd go, I might have to go vote for him anyway uh... because it, it stands that – Importantly, because that one election could swing it. So then President Biden can send this bill to Congress that codifies Roe versus Wade. This is how Republicans start holding their nose and going, I got to then vote I, for I that, person honest, or that person. Like, this is so disturbing to me. That's what I was just going to say. This does make you go. You can see why, A, you don't vote. Right. Mm-hmm. Which I don't think is right. But you don't vote and be why you go. Oh, I guess I'm choosing a lesser of two evils. Like, I don't like that. Now, there are things about the Democratic position that I actually wish I could see some Republicans embrace. Same with the, I, I wish some Republicans yeah. would embrace some of the or vice versa. You know what I mean? Um, I, I always was like, man, in a dream world, there would be a pro-life Democratic candidate. Like, honestly, I'm like waiting for that day, but that's not going to happen. It's your person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so this is um, – oh, it makes it hard. It, yeah. It's it just – like uh, – I agree with you. It's so hard. At, at least ev- there's honesty. At least – I don't mean integrity, but I mean honesty. Like, uh, okay, you, you now we know. No well, one's going to try. No only, one's trying to pretend, you know. And it's pr- it's proud. It's like, hey, I'm yeah. going to do this for you. It's like, oh yeah. my gosh, like, you know, one issue voter, not one issue voter. There's still a ranking of like, this is the most important issue to me, or this is the most important issue, or this kind of raises to the top. And he's going, hey, we're going to continue pushing this to an extreme level. And you're going, man, you've kind of laid it out there as to what I have to think through. I don't know. It's so hard. And this is how people, like you said end up holding their nose going, okay, Mm -hmm. I got to vote for Mm -hmm. that person or that person. So election day, one week from today, I'm sure we're going to have lots to talk about it. Aubrey, I want to have a a parenting pastor church question for you next. Tom Tom Rayner over at Church Answers said this, church leaders' frustration with Sunday sports Here's five considerations. We're going to talk about all of these sports and other things happening on Sunday morning sports. next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Aubrey, uh, we try on this show to tackle issues of the day. So we just talked about abortion and the election. But you and I are both pastors. We've said that a few times on this show. But we're it's also beca- parents. Can, wait, can I? T- game, I'm yes. sorry. Yeah, it's become a drinking game for people. Not alcoholic drinking game. Iced Get your tea. iced tea or your coffee. Take a shot of it. When we say Brian and I are both pastors or Aubrey and I are both pastors. (laughs) So you and I walk a really fine line because we are both pastors, but we're also both parents. Yep. And uh, 
our kids have events. They have things. I don't know if you ever feel like increasingly uh, your job is like the Uber driver of the house and schedule maker, right? Like the pieces going oh. here and here and here. Uh, now, your kids are not as um, involved in sports as my children are. Right, right. But um, one thing that has become new in this generation, I would say, than to our generation is uh, – Sports happen as much on Sunday morning as they happen on Saturday morning now, right? That, it used to be. Yes, right. It used to be sports are Saturday, church is Sunday, and then the travel sports maybe Sunday afternoon, mm-hmm. right? You go to church, you have lunch, and you got the 2 o'clock game or something. Yes. Uh, but now it is sports Saturday morning, sports Sunday morning, and not just games – but practices. And that's led a lot of us as pastors to go, what do you do about this? Tom Rayner over at Church Leaders, he's a big um, kind of a research guy, church guru guy. He wrote an article about this, and it starts this way, a quote from another pastor. This was one in Texas. He said, if our members did not let their kids play on travel leagues or Sunday sports, our attendance would increase by 25%. Whoa! <laughs> it's totally true. And you want to know Whoa. why I know this is true? Because I know this why. this is my family. <laughs> yeah. Is there, well, we'll talk about this as we go on, but is there a place where the conversation needs to be entirely flipped and this is what I want hey, to talk to you about. If our entire church began to join the neighborhood on travel leagues or Sunday sports, the church would be in the neighborhood. Do you know what I mean? It's like a it, can we reverse this whole line of thinking somehow and be a church that goes where the people are instead of expecting people to stop what they're doing and come to a service? Anyway, I go thought ahead. you were going to say no, no. I thought you were going to say something else. I like where you went there. It's a very missional idea, right? Like, yeah. Let's be out of the building. What I thought you were going to say was maybe now the conversation for the church needs to be what can we do apart from Sunday morning? Does everything always have to be Sunday Sunday morning? morning Great question. Yeah, that's a good thought too. Mm -hmm. So before – I want to dive into this personally for you and I, but he said – Excuse me, Rainer in the short article says, here are five perspectives. I would love to hear your perspective. Here's five considerations. Okay. Uh, I would love to hear your perspectives as well. He says, one, many members are less committed to church today. Then he goes, two, churches expect less today than they did a few decades ago. Hmm. Number three, cultural norms have changed. This is hmm. the sports one. Four, churches have adapted to cultural changes in the past. Hmm. Uh, so he talks about how in the past the service times really came about because so farmers could get their chores done or whatever else. And number five, this frustration has been exacerbated by COVID. So let's Interesting. talk. But before we talk about those as a whole and maybe some of those plans, let's talk about the sports one because here's the deal. Uh, I'm a pastor. Uh, I have one daughter at college right now. Yep. I have a son who plays what I would call relatively intense travel baseball. Right. And I have a daughter who plays travel softball. Yes. And so let me paint the picture. And some of you, especially older people, are going to be like, you're just making excuses. But let me just (laughs) lay it out. And then, Aubrey, I would like you to speak into my dilemma. So uh, my son's baseball team, he's going to start practice 
in November, indoor practice. It'll go from November till mid-February. Okay. So that's a long time. Mm-hmm. Every other Sunday, he will have Sunday morning practice. So not right. every Sunday, but every right. every other. He, that will then end. He will start his high school baseball season. So that's just high school schedule, which ironically is less intense wow. <laughs> on Sundays. <laughs> wow. At least on Sundays. But then come June, his travel league season will go from June 1st, say, to the end of July. Okay. And they'll probably have a weekend tournament every weekend. Wow. For those two months. And my daughter's softball season, um, we just got her practice schedule. Now, yep. we're not going to let her practice every Sunday morning. She doesn't want to. But for like a two-month span, their winter workouts or whatever are 9 to 11 Sunday morning. Oh, come on. Nope. And then come spring and summer, she'll have some tournaments much less intense than my yeah. son. Her stuff will probably be more like – Week weekday focused is my okay. guess. So okay. I'm not just a what, what's the old hair care product uh, joke that made that commercial. <laughs> right. I'm not just a uh, I'm not just an endorser. I'm also I'm a, a user uh, or whatever I'm it a is. User. Yeah, that's you. This is a dilemma. I'm the pastor of the church. Yeah, so I, I talk talk to the people about how you make this work because you are a pastor of the church. That's a lot of Sunday mornings. So how does your family and your church make this work? So here's another dilemma to this that I would tell people who are like, don't let him play. I would say my son, by the time he's in high school now, the choices are either play and work this schedule or don't play at all. You know what I mean? Like, it's not yeah. like just let them play where they don't practice This is everything now. Uh, so the truth of the matter is the way we make it work is not great. And yeah. my wife shoulders a lot of it. Right. And we've kind of gotten to the part where we've said, listen, when he's in the quote unquote off season, he's going to be at church every week. Like he's yeah. going to youth group. He's going to church. Right. right. And and in baseball season, he's going to be more hit or miss when yeah. the tournament's in the afternoon. He's going to church uh, on those off weeks of practice. He's going to church. But we have not been like he's skipping. He'll go to baseball on those other weeks and on mm-hmm. those tournaments. And I don't mm-hmm. know if that makes me a bad pastor and parent, the one that these people on Twitter are raging against, but it's it's the best we can do. And I will be honest, there are some people in my church who have uh, disagreed with this. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure so, there are. I'm sure there are people who have disagreed Who have with disagreed. It. So what's your perspective? You don't have kids in sports. They're busy, but maybe yeah. not on Sunday morning. So. Yeah. Yeah. I. You know. Partly, Brian, because I know you, this makes it an easy thing for me to be like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Because I know you guys are like discipling your kids throughout the week. Like your kids' spiritual formation is not dependent on Sunday morning. I also know you're a family like committed to the local church. So I like if we if we look at the Fromm family as a model for this, I'm like, yeah, that's your kids love sports. Go for it. God, God's in their sports. You know, mm-hmm. I think when here's when it becomes trickier, because I think you guys are a great example of, again, like I said, you're discipling your kids throughout the week or, you know, they're active in church. There are families who just sort of choose sports above or against. Mm -hmm. And that's a tricky thing to wrestle with as a church leader. Like, how do you call those families to kind of do what you're doing? Hey, look, we get it. Your kids love sports. God has gifted them in sports. This is part of your family ethos. This is fun. This is for their future. Everybody loves it. 
can you, when they're not in sports, make sure that church is a commitment right. to church is a part of your family's rhythm in life? Um, I, I do remember Kevin's, uh, one of Kevin's mentors is a pastor by the name of Dave McDowell. He passed away from cancer about a year ago and he, um, he, their, their kids were all very involved in sports. And I don't think you can do this nowadays, but he would say to all their coaches, we won't be there Sunday. Yeah. And they just wouldn't come. But their kids were good enough athletes that, like, you could get away with it. You know what I mean? It's like, funny. the coach would be like, oh, that's fine. That's fine. But I think the times have changed, like you said. So I I don't exactly know what the what the call is, but I think it's sort of yes and. Yeah. I think for the pastors out there, uh, I I think the days have passed where we can just shake our fists at this. And yeah. be like, if you're a good Christian and who loves your kids, you're not like I've gotten to the point with my son say like he loves baseball in at least the area where I live. If we made a really hard line in the sand, he'd have to quit baseball. Mm. And now what do you think his view of the church is going to be? But I also sat. I also yeah, understand that I that sounds question. very accommodating, like. Fine, then we're t- teaching our son that baseballs. I think we're trying to walk a middle ground. And I think Rainer, to us pastors, asks an interesting question that I don't know the answer to. Are there things we can be doing schedule wise? Does everything at the church have to be Sunday morning? Yeah. Or if I you think get that's off a of really Sunday morning, good question. are we bending the culture too much? I don't have a great answer to that one. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting. Here's what I would tell people this is not going away. <laughs> so yeah. uh, I think, Aubrey, I think the next thing to happen here is, and maybe I'm wrong on this, I think the schools are going to start taking over Sunday morning as well. You the do? Public schools, the public schools. In what schools. way? Sports. I think. Oh, sports. Oh. I think you're going to start, maybe, mm. uh, maybe it's going to take another generation or something, but I think you're going to start seeing high school wow, football teams Brian. practice. Like right now, they don't you still, might be but right what's about stopping that. them? You might be right about that. Wow. What's that's stopping gonna be tricky. them? So. That's going to be tricky for sure. Yep. Yep. So there's the big question we don't have a great answer to, but I think as church leaders, uh, it's it's going to only get bigger, not not less. I think there's coming a day where it won't just be sports, where your little kid's dance crew is going to now meet on Sunday morning, whatever. Well, that's already true. Yeah. That's, I mean, I have friends who is have daughters right? and they're, yeah, they can't go to church on Sundays because of their dance commitments. So yeah. There that's you go. Already so thing. what yep. are we as churches going to do? It's All right. Coming up next. To think about. It is coming up next, Aubrey. Uh, I want to read to you um, a speech from years ago and I want to oh. ask two questions. So don't, don't look at it yet. If okay. you haven't, Okay. I haven't. I'm going to ask if you know where this was from. And then could this speech be given today? We're going to do that Mm. next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. All right, Aubrey, we've talked a lot about politics and divisiveness. Uh, I want to play a little game with you. Okay. I am going to read to you the closing words of a speech. And I want you to answer two questions. One, do you know when or where this speech was given? Oh. In the history of American politics. <gasps> okay. And then two, could this speech be given today? All right. Okay. So oh, let wow. me read. Okay. To, let me read to you the end of this speech. Here we go. This is fun. Okay. Here we go. Neither the fanatics nor the faint-hearted are needed. 
And our duty as a party is not to our party alone, but to the nation and indeed to all mankind. Our duty is not merely the preservation of political power, but the preservation of peace and freedom. Hmm. So let us not be petty when our cause is so great. Let us not quarrel amongst ourselves when our nation's future is at stake. Let us stand together with renewed confidence in our cause, united in our heritage of the past and our hopes for the future, and determine that this land we love shall lead all mankind into new frontiers of peace and abundance. Wow. I almost need you to read it one more time, but I think I got it. That's so cool. All right, I can quickly read it again. Here you go. Ready? Yeah, go one more time. Yep. I want you to picture this being given today, but here we go. Yes, okay. Neither the fanatics nor the faint-hearted are needed, and our duty as a party is not to our party alone, but to the nation, and indeed to all mankind. Our duty is not merely the preservation of political power, but the preservation of peace and freedom. So let us not be petty when our cause is so great. Let us not quarrel amongst ourselves when our nation's future is at stake. Let us stand together with renewed confidence in our cause, united in our heritage of the past and our hopes for the future, and determine that this land we love shall lead all mankind into new frontiers of peace and abundance. Hmm. So it's a very unifying. This is. I'm going to answer my question first. I don't think this would fly well today. Well, what's interesting is this. Is this JFK? It is. Okay. JFK. It just sounds like some. JFK. So here's what I think. So can I give you? Can I answer the question as to when JFK gave this? Yeah, I want to hear it. He didn't actually give this. This was the speech JFK was going to give the evening that he was assassinated. <gasps> no. Yes. So these were the notes for the uh, for the banquet that evening when he was killed that afternoon. There you go. But you, good wow, guess on JFK you, there. People can't, people can't see because my – well, I know like some of that language like shall, you know, I'm like, okay, the, the more current presidents aren't using the word shall. But that sounds like him. Like he, he – yeah. his speech is – always felt very inspirational and unifying here's the problem that's the kind of candidate i want to hear right now i want the 100%. one who's saying it's not about your party it's not about your little issue or big issue it is about the unity of this nation like put those things aside for the common good of everybody and and oh uh, that is yep. not getting rewarded that is not getting platformed that is not winning and it's killing me that that's happening that the we're line not seeing that, he gives. that candidate the line that he gives there is that that I found so striking and I went, yeah, this is so different than what our political parties are now. There's people saying this, but like you said, they're not winning. They're not getting platformed. They're not they're winning. Not, yeah. Exactly. There are certainly candidates and senators and whoever who, uh, who believe this and who are saying this. They're just – quickly getting voted out of office in the primaries on both sides of the aisle. Uh, Yeah, exactly. uh, So I find it so stunning, like you did, mouth open, that he he was to give this on the day that he was assassinated. There's a line that he gave that I went, oh, this this is the problem with politics today. When he said, basically, it is not about the preservation of power. But it is about, you know, the 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 nation and mankind. Mm. I, I long to follow politicians. Yeah. Who don't feel like they are about the preservation of power. Uh, but I feel like real. 
every politician that I yeah. listen to on both sides of the aisle are, are all they're concerned about is how do I get elected? Yeah. How do I stay elected? How do yeah. we have more power? How do we get more Republicans? How do we get more Democrats? Yeah. How do we rile up the base? How do yep. we do this? And yep. any talk of unity and reaching across the aisle and a, com- a mm-hmm. greater good and mm-hmm. the common good feels completely lost. And here's, uh, here's what's sad for me, Aubrey, is I don't see a pathway to this type of thing ever occurring again. It's what's so frustrating to me is it feels like there's a disparity between what we want. Like you and I are sitting here saying we want this. I I would say I can speak for a lot of people who say that they're longing for that type of leadership. And yet the, the public or the perceived public felt need is that we don't want this because we, we jump uh, on the bandwagon of people who are being more polemic and being more vitriolic. And, and so it's frustrating too, to just be like, no, 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 we're saying we long for this type of unifying leadership. And yet question mark blank space. It's not there. And I think you're right, Brian. I don't see a day in which, the JFKs of the world come back. Yeah. Yeah. Or just somebody who's speaking this because, you know, uh, again, here's what I know is going on in some people's brains right now. Oh, well, JFK was a Democrat. I could never support him or so. And, so, and that's the point. That's the he, problem. He says his very words. Oh, this is it. Also, this is it. Also, uh, let us not be petty when our cause is so great. I don't know anywhere in our world right now where I look and go, wow, those are the most petty people I know that are politicians. Like I'm longing yeah. for yeah. a president, for a congressman or woman, for a whatever who gets right. up and says, hey, we're going to get beyond the pettiness and we're going to make mm-hmm. this, you know, we're going to go for it. And I know some people who are especially tied into politics out there listening are going, uh, that's not possible because of this or this. That's the problem. Like yeah. I, yeah, I think you and I have been very clear. Like I just want a candidate who's like, you know what? This isn't about me. This isn't even about party. This is about nation. And yeah. uh, and you know we're gonna go for that. So anyway, I thought that was fascinating. So good. Uh, that was a great. This find. was from yeah. the Twitter account. Who who posted this? This was from the pit, uh, Twitter account uh, of uh, uh, Michael Bes- uh, Besklos. Uh, he's hmm. written many books about. He's a presidential historian. He's written oh, okay. many books. Wow. Uh, again, neither fanatics nor the faint-hearted are needed. Wow. Wow. Uh, our duty is not the preservation of political power. Let us not be petty. Uh, gosh, longing so for the good. day on both sides of the aisle where that might be the case. Um, Brian. I am taking an Old Testament class right now, and one of the okay. books that we're reading is. How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. Mm. And another book that I have used for many years as a Christian is How to Read the Bible Book by Book. And so I opened it up Christianity Today over the weekend and was so shocked to find that Gordon Fee, one of the co-authors of How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, passed away. Now, it shouldn't be shocking. I mean, he's he's lived a full life. And yet um, he was a... Described as a New Testament scholar on fire. He loved the scripture. He (laughs) loved um, helping Christians 
encounter God through mm-hmm. God's word. Um, his, you know, his books about how to read the Bible are, you know, he's such a scholar. And so they're scholarly books. Again, I'm reading them in a post-grad school, like a doctoral level class, but they're so accessible for every Christian and really help break down the Bible and help make sense of why and how we read the Bible. And so it just, I mean, you know, always a little sad, even if you've lived a full life, to see some of these deeply influential yes. evangelical folks pass. I'm trying to find how old he was. Um, Did I, I read think 87 I, somewhere? I think I had read somewhere late 80s, late 80s. So again, uh, 88. He died on Tuesday at the age of 88. So a week ago. Um, college professor, obviously deeply influential. But I always, I always like to pause. I feel like we're seeing this generation pass away we're covering right. more and more of these stories You're so i right. like to pause and just sort of acknowledge their legacy we share so many stories of people who did not run the race it is worth celebrating the guys who, who did run the race yeah. and just kind of stopping to talk about gordon fee's influence it, i like you said in college uh there was hardly a new testament class that i took that didn't have a gordon fee book whether totally. it be a commentary or something yes his book like you said how to read the bible for all it's worth uh your even if you've never heard of Gordon Fee, your pastor, your yes. favorite author, Christian, yes. author, whatever, has been influenced by Gordon Fee yes. along the years. And this is Aubrey, like as somewhat of a tangent, like right, we talk about celebrity Christians all the time. I kind of wish it was the Gordon Fees of the world who were the celebrity Christians. I like, know because this guy is a celebrity Christian, like, or he's he, done such good yes. work, oh. Bible anchored work yeah and i would get venture guess that 90 percent of christians out there don't know who gordon fee is and so right. i think it's important to highlight people like that yeah uh because he's foundational to i would say uh bible thought christian thought of the yeah. last decades so yeah his book god's empowering presence on the holy spirit is also another just in mm. unbelievable unbelievable book and here's what makes gordon fee i think so remarkable as though he was an academic listen to this quote so you'll you'll get he's an academic but like deeply passionate about god he says we bring our exegesis to fruition when we ourselves sit with unspeakable wonder in the presence of god Hmm. we must hear the words with our hearts we must bask in god's own glory we must be moved to a sense of overwhelming awe at god's riches and glory we must think again on the incredible wonder that these riches are ours in Christ. And we must worship the living God by singing praises to his glory. Mm, Gordon Fee was also known, I think, by singing hymns at the beginning of all of his classes. So, like, here's a guy who's taking his his academic study, partnering with it, his deep passion for the Lord's right. glory and his wonder of who God is. And so I'm with you. I, I feel like these are the guys... You know, it's because they're not, they they sort of shirked celebrity that they are who they are. You know what I mean? But they're the yeah. ones we want to be celebrating as the quote unquote celebrities or heroes of the faith, certainly. Agreed. Agreed. And so I thought I thought it was good to take just a little bit of time to go, man, let's let's remember a life well lived for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Another life, Brian, it's been a few years since Chadwick Boseman died. Years? But, is that crazy? Isn't wow. that crazy? Yep. So I I think it's been at least two years. And um, with a new movie, Wakanda Forever, coming out, if, if those of you who don't know the name Chadwick Boseman, he's the star of Black Panther. 
Um, he died of cancer. And what was so shocking about it is none of his coworkers knew like nobody, if you're, I know you remember that story, Brian, cause we mm-hmm. covered it. No one knew that he was sick. If you watch some of his later films, especially on Netflix, you can see him getting really, really thin, but right. nobody had an idea that he was sick. So his wife, uh, Simone Bozeman recently opened up because there's the premiere of the new black Panther, black Panther Wakanda forever coming out. And she opened up about how, when he was, his health began to spiral during the COVID pandemic, uh, COVID-19 pandemic. He died from colon cancer and like two years, they're keeping it a secret. She says they kept their circle tight as a result of their privacy news of his death at the age of 43 shocked and devastated the world. She says that it was the most two two most difficult years of her entire life. And she doesn't say this, Brian. So I'm, I'm making some guesses here, but I wonder if part of it was the secrecy, like the devastating loss, of course, but can you, I I feel like holding that my husband is dying of cancer while the world is falling apart, having to hold that secretly Mm -hmm. would be I think really, really, really quite a burden to bear. I'm, I'm guessing very close friends and family knew, so she wasn't totally alone, but I, it, it gave an extra measure of sadness, I think, to the whole story. Like remind, remembering like, oh man, this, his wife had to carry this on her own and keep it a secret. And, oh. And online people were saying things like, oh, he doesn't look like in the midst of it. I, I do remember like the, Nothing happens in our world ever, ever anymore where there's like a shock, like, wait, what? And I yeah. do remember, interestingly, you and I were doing the show back then when he passed away. Uh, mm-hmm. the, you're much more plugged into the world of like the movies of. Yeah, uh, right. Black the Marvel Panthers Cinematic stuff. Universe. Right. So do you remember? I had to admit that I didn't know who he was. But now. Oh, really? My, we have since made it through yeah. all the Marvel movies and made it through. And I'm like, oh, that guy was amazing. Yeah, it was <laughs> but amazing. I remember when he died, I was like, who's this guy? Like, who are we talking about? Yeah. But yeah, uh, what was amazing about his story and still resonates to today is up until his dying day, he was not only keeping his diagnosis a secret, he was visiting hospitals and serving people. And, and like, he never stopped that. Yeah. And that was also amazing. So it is it's good to talk about two very different people yep. here going very different legacies. Legacy matters. How mm-hmm. what how you live your life matters and it 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 goes beyond even your death and we see that even in a great theologian and in a world famous actor. Yeah, yeah, we do. And so I think Brian and I always like to pause and just remind all of us, let's think about the legacy we're leaving behind. What do we want people to say about us at our 80th birthdays? What do we want people to say about us at our funerals? You know, may we have a legacy like Gordon Fee, where we our lives speak of the wonder of God. May we have a legacy like Chadwick Boseman, where we're pouring into other people, even from our pain. Good to stop and acknowledge uh, those folks in their lives. Well, coming up next, Brian, my dad sent me an article about Halloween, something he was terrified about. He started sending it around to a lot of people. I started seeing this everywhere, but apparently these were some unfounded fears. I want to unpack that when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, as you probably remember, last night was Halloween night. And Brian, I don't know if you heard this around Halloween, but did you get get the word about 
the uh, supposed fentanyl. I did. I did see candy, that. Rainbow fentanyl. Okay. Isn't so, this you... just what we grew up with? But for us, this was razor blades if... in candy. Razor blades or pins like there's going to be you are going to if you go out on Halloween (laughs) and you eat your candy, be ready to ingest a big uh, like a razor blade or a pin or you're going to die. Or like it'll be poisoned like they'll put poison in it. And I never met. Yeah, I only ever heard like the thumbtack or the and I remember thinking as a kid. Man, that's a really bad person who would do this. And yeah. how would they open it? And how would they? Because that was always it. Like if if mm-hmm. it, they give you something that's not wrapped or whatever. Right. But then I was thought. I remember thinking to myself at an early age. I still <laughs> never met somebody who bit into right. a razor blade. That's never who, actually happened. Yeah. So when I saw this article, maybe it might not be the same. When I saw like the Facebook post, be uh-huh. careful of the fentanyl. Uh, that was my first thought. Now. Before we talk about it, I did see it, that turned into some funny memes where people were like, check your kids thing. And then they would insert like uh, there was a really bad football team like uh, <laughs> the Denver Broncos are struggling. Oh, right that's now. funny. And I saw there was one that had like a broken apart um, candy bar. And it said, I can't believe it. Somebody put this in my kids candy. And it was two tickets to a Broncos game. Like. <laughs> Like how mean <laughs> that good. was. So, but yeah, That's the good. fentanyl one, and maybe maybe it happened somewhere, but I don't know. I didn't. Well, I, I ate a lot of my kids' candy last night. I didn't have any fentanyl. My, you know, my poor. I'm going to sell out my dad here, but my poor dad. He's a worrier in general, uh-huh. so he reads these things and he gets very worried. So he, like, one night a few weeks ago, he. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm laughing, but he sends me and my sister this article about this supposed rainbow fentanyl, which may or may not have happened, but uh, it didn't happen last night at our house. But And then he starts calling us, calling, calling, calling. I'm like, is everything okay? He He's did? like, you need to read the article about the rainbow fentanyl fentanyl and then he starts sending the article to my kids like texting my our oldest son about it you really need to think about if you're gonna go trick-or-treating or not and then even last night my bless his heart was like are you gonna let the kids go trick-or-treating like he was very worried about this and i'm so glad you brought up the whole like kind of razor blade or pins yeah. and candy thing because i was thinking to myself this has to be that same thing right like this can't actually be happening this happens every year. There's some Agreed. Uh, uh, conspiracy theory, I guess, about how it's a fear mongering. It's a something. Yeah, yeah. How somebody's I think, trying to threaten our kids. Go ahead. I think it starts from probably a good spot and it probably starts from somewhere, right? Yeah. Somewhere in the 1980s. Yeah, it probably does. I'm guessing somewhere in the 1980s, somebody took a bite of candy and there was a razor blade in it. Or there was yeah, a, like it probably uh, did start a pin somewhere. in it, right? And then it just goes. Now in the age of social media, it probably never happened. But even if it did, maybe somewhere fentanyl was put. But maybe there was just a rumor of it, and then it goes on social media, and yeah, boom, it becomes there it a goes. whole. It becomes a whole thing. This is a side note. I want to get back to the rainbow fentanyl because NPR talked about how this actually became a rumor. It's really interesting. But I also remember one where. Uh, when we were kids that certain movie theaters people were putting razor blades in the seats and if you sat back you'd like sit on like 
the, the I never heard that would, one. Like poke you. <laughs> like what's the deal? What's the obsession with razor blades? Where I was growing I mean, up. <laughs> I mean, I grew up in New Jersey. If that was all you got at the movie theater, you were good. So. <laughs> you were lucky. You were lucky. There were needles. Oh, I got in the, the razor blade theater. seats. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the needle seats. Okay. It so. does become harder in the age of social media. Yeah. Particularly. I am about to paint with a really broad brush. Yeah. But particularly people our parents' age. I know. Not to buy into some of these things that you read online. And I say yeah. that as somebody who is with each day getting closer to our parents' right. age. We're, I'm get, sure, we're becoming them. Yep. I'm sure we're going to fall for these things. But yep. uh, we got to be careful the things that we believe and we send around. And I, I, like I said, I think this is razor blades of the 1980s. Yeah, I, I think it is too. And that's ultimately what NPR is saying. They're saying unfounded fears about rainbow fentanyl became the latest Hollywood boogeyman. This article says, forget horror movies, haunted houses, or decorations that seem a little too realistic. For many, paranoia around drug-laced candy can make trick-or-treating the ultimate scare. And this is interesting. A professor of criminology and criminal justice says this. We've pretty much stopped believing in ghosts and goblins, but we believe in criminals. And so we tell each other scary stories about Halloween criminals and it resonates it takes mm. the underlying cultural message of the holiday spooky stuff and it links it to contemporary fears and he says although it's normal to hear uh, this is npr although it's normal to hear concerns over what a child may receive when they go trick-or-treating misinformation has been particularly persistent especially this year apparently here's how it all started in August, the okay. USDA, DEA, U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration, alerted the public to the existence of bright-colored fentanyl pills that resemble candy. It then became dubbed Rainbow Fentanyl. Mm. The DEA warned that the pills were a deliberate scheme by drug cartels to sell addictive fentanyl to children and young people. Although the agency didn't mention Halloween specifically, people began to link it as a threat to kids okay. over Halloween. So you're right. It did start somewhere, like started in some truth somewhere, but there's never been any evidence that yep. a child has been hurt in a treat from trick-or-treating. They actually say oh, in the past decades, the drug experts say that um, in the decades they've spent researching this, never once has there been any evidence that a child has been killed, seriously hurt by a treat found in the course of trick-or-treating. That was really? surprising to me. Yeah, I was like, never once? Okay, wow. So basically they're saying that they think people has politicized this because it's a very tense election year with huh. certain partisan politics. And it seems as if people are using fentanyl for political purposes. I thought that huh. was kind of interesting, too. They say they doubt that rainbow fentanyl will be sticking around next year, but there'll be some other fear about Halloween poisoning. So so what do you think about all that? I thought that was kind of interesting, like how it all weaved together in like the perfect storm to make this happen. It is. So somebody hears a story. It looks like candy. What What's the big candy time? Halloween. Yeah. There's always these ghosts back there that are trying to do bad things, which in some level there is. Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you would like to think this birthed out of out of some real concern. But also what we do know is that fear is a great motivator to retain power and yeah. to get votes or whatever else. So you, now you start going, these are the people who are coming after you. This yeah. is what's happening keep me in office and I will protect you. That's how fear becomes a great motivator. So what I would encourage people is like, do your homework, like That's do it. your homework That's and it. be good. I, for, for better, for worse, Google hey, is fentanyl yeah. in my head. Yeah. If you're like, I don't trust the internet, 
call the police in your town. Right. Hey, is this something we should be scared of? Is this something you guys are, are looking out for? No, that's unfounded. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, there, don't believe everything that you read online. How's that sound? I, yeah, I think that's sort of the whole point of why I wanted to bring this up. Like, use your discernment. Don't believe everything. Don't let fear be a tactic used against you. Do your research so you know what's true and what isn't true. Mm-hmm. All right, coming up next, Brian, I want to talk to you about a dilemma at my kids' school uh, in relation to DA. Dia de los Muertos, which is today, the National Day of the Dead. Not the National Day of the Dead, the Day of the Dead. We'll talk about that when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Well, Halloween has ended, and now we're moving into a new holiday tomorrow, Dia de los Muertos, known as Day of the Dead. This is a cultural holiday. It's a traditional Mexican holiday celebrated on November 2nd. And on this day, it is believed that souls of the dead return to visit their living members. So many people celebrate this day by visiting graves of deceased loved ones, setting up altars with the deceased loved one's favorite food, drink, photos. If you've seen the movie Coco... You probably know what Dia de los Muertos is. Um, It's an ancient holiday for the people of Mexico. And so, Brian, we my kids go to dual language school. Many of their actually the majority of their teachers and classmates are of Latino heritage, but many of most of them are Mexican. And so our school for years has celebrated Dia de los Muertos and has um has created an ofrenda, like a a type of altar, essentially, huh. that's traditional to Dia de, Dia de los Muertos, um, where people from the school are invited to bring pictures of loved ones, memories of loved ones, uh, their favorite snack, and then it's set up and everyone can kind of celebrate the family members or friends that have been lost over the years on this holiday. It's actually a really, really sweet thing. Okay. Um, But let me tell you the dilemma. And I want to think about it from a few different ways. When our kids first started in the dual language program at the school and Dia de los Muertos came up, I was not familiar with it as an American, white American. And, um, And I, as a Christian, began to panic a little bit, honestly, about this altar to the dead at my kid's school. And I really had to wrestle with, is this, there are a couple things. Is this okay with my mm-hmm. Christian faith? Um, and also too, is, is it um, like on the other side, is it cultural appropriation? Like, is this okay? Are we honoring even the holiday for Mexican people the way that it should be honored? Or are we doing something to it that we shouldn't? So Kevin and I really, really kind of, had a lot of conversations about this. And ultimately what we realized on the second one appropriation is that it, it's education because it's Mexican mm-hmm. teachers teaching our kids about this holidays. It's not appropriation. That's okay. What we did still kind of, kind of wrestle with was like, but is it okay that there's an altar to the dead at right. the school? Is this complicated for the Christian? Now where we've landed is this is actually good for our kids to learn about. And this is a really sweet way actually to, to remember um, those who've passed. Remember, you know, grandpa, remember Mima, remember grandma who died a year ago and some of her favorite sweets and her favorite candy and her favorite things. Um, but there were also a group of Christians at the time at the school who began kind of 
banding together and okay. writing the principal and the you know school district emails saying we're not comfortable with this is like forced religion Kevin and I did not participate in those emails, but it was certainly a thing to wrestle with as someone who was new to this holiday. Again, we've landed on like, we think it's uh we think it's sweet for our kids to learn this and to learn about other cultures. And we're not going to like bow down to the dead or necessarily assume the deceased are visiting our kids, but to tell stories and remember is really, really meaningful. But tell me, Pastor Brian. Yeah, that's complicated. If, if you're in the same scenario, what are you thinking and what are you telling the parents who are calling you? We don't know how to deal with this at our kids' schools. That's a hard one. First of all, I'd ne- I I have seen Coco, but I've never I did not Coco. remember I did not remember what that was. Yeah. Can I ask one more question? So there. Please. What exactly are they doing? So you bring a picture of Grandma and you put it on this in this area at the school. What yes. is happening with this? Is that yeah, it? is that I, where it ends? Yeah, that's where it ends. Or or like a little food, like Grandma's favorite food on a plate. Yep. It, there's yep. not. No one's like. There's not like a ceremony going on. There's not there's a not ceremony. A... No, it's it's there as sort of a. You walk by it. You notice it. You see it and the kids are somewhere taught about this because otherwise that's really random the kids are <laughs> like, ab- yeah the kids are absolutely taught about the kids will come home tomorrow with uh sugar skulls which is part of celebrating the holiday okay. like my fifth grader now like last week went to the kindergarten class and did a little presentation on dia de los muertos for the younger kids to teach them so yes it's it's definitely education is there um, are there are there things at the school right now that they're not educating about that are out of bounds in terms of Christmas or Ramadan or yeah, whatever so th- else? This is where I think it starts to get tricky. There's not a Christmas altar or a Ramadan <laughs> altar or whatever. Sure. But there is this one, and this has some religious connotations to it. Yeah. Yeah. So it though it is uh heritage and it it is education and again our kids are at a dual language school so this is part of we're wanting them to learn about other cultures um it it is obviously rooted in some type of uh some type of spiritual observance right yeah 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 man that's a hard one i don't think this would get to the point of me pulling my kid from school or writing an email to the, I might write an email to the principal going, Hey, just explain this to me Uh as opposed to like, Uh uh, you know, like walk me through why, why this, not this, why this, not this. Um, I would certainly want to talk my kids through it because the, the, your school there is different being a dual um, language tool that part of the fabric of the school is different cultures. How do yep. we learn all yep. this and that? Yeah. I think for a lot of our listeners, this starts to become more real when you're talking about the public school and lifestyle choices. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. So most public schools, most high schools now have a pride week. Yeah. What do I do? That is somewhat of a cult. Like that is not rising to what you're talking about. But in our culture, that is rising, rising, rising. Interesting. Interesting. uh, To this. Um, You know, I'm and, and I know Carrie and I had to wrestle with what do we do for our kids with that? I think 
you want to parent. You don't want the school mm-hmm. to parent your kids. So you want to talk through these mm-hmm. things. You want to know at what point is this too far for me? Okay, so if Pride Week at my kid's school, there's lots of rainbow flags. There's lots of this. There's maybe am I comfortable with that? Oh, okay. Now the teacher's teaching on this. Am I comfortable with that? Like that's where it yeah. goes. And I know this is a little bit apples to oranges, what you're talking about. But I hear because... what you're saying. You're, you're making some connections here. Yeah. So the one at your school, I'd want to be like, all right, so where are we spiritualizing this? Yeah. Like, we're, right. Right. As and opposed that's problematic. to, Hey, this is part of this culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're good. We want you to know the same way that this is part of the American culture. Right. Fourth of July or yes. whatever else it might be. Right. Versus, yeah, I, oh gosh, it's gray. It's hard. Like, that's a really it is, hard isn't one. Because, it? because let's be honest, in some ways, this is why you put your kids in that school. Totally. Yeah. We, we want them to be uh, multilingual, multilinguistic, right. linguistic, multi-ethnic, meaning like celebrating other ethnicities in their heritage. But, Absolutely it is. But there, but you and Kevin would say there's a limit to that. Yeah. And yeah. so where, where's that limit? I think every family, what I appreciate is you saying we talked about it. Kevin mm-hmm. and I debated it. We did. Mm-hmm. Because like whether it's your school's pride week, whether it's, you know, I remember uh, in the public school, one of my kids coming home in elementary school and they were doing a world religions thing. And I sat down with them and talked them through it because I wanted to know, I want them to know about all the other religions. Yes. But once their teacher tells them it doesn't matter which one you believe, now we've got to step in and teach. Yeah. So that's where it gets great. I guess the biggest takeaway is please be involved in your kid's school. That's it. I think that's it. You have to be parents having through. conversations. Yeah. When your kids come home and talk about like just the word altar makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. But when they talk about the altar, you've got to jump in and be like, okay, let's talk this through. How does yeah, this relate to yeah. our Christian faith? What does this mean? Yeah. And you might have to say some things that their teachers are saying the opposite of yep, and yep. just have that. So whether it's that, like I said, public schools with their pride week, whatever else it might be, yeah. uh, got, got to talk it I, through. Got, got to work it, it through. Yeah. A little, little bit of a dilemma, certainly something. To yeah, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Well, well, Brian and I will be back again tomorrow from four to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.